a quick heads up. Um, I forget the exact date, but the from so we've had these prayer nights the last three Thursdays, and I'll say that something has shifted for us. I just there were just powerful times of worship and of and of prayer and just praying into things and believing in God for things. If you're not able to be here, uh, I'm sorry for you because it was just an amazing time of God pouring His Spirit out. I want to give you a heads up that we will be doing these the rest of the rest of the year, the very first Thursday of each month. I think except in July, maybe because it's like July 4th, and I know you won't be here, right? So just that second week in July, but that because I won't be here to say that. But that first, uh, but the first Thursday of every month, so I think that's like February 5th. Somebody has a calendar, one of those types of calendar people. You can shout out if that was wrong. But I think it's around February 4th, February 5th. We'll have again, and there's, there's child care. So please come make that happen. If you, like if, if, if it's one of that, so I'm going to say this, right? Because here's the deal. I live in the real world too, right? Of schedule and times. So I'll just say this to you. If you're sitting at home and your kids are there, listen, husbands and wives, I'm talking to you, okay? If you're sitting there and like one of you can come, but the other one has to stay home, fantastic! Just send one of you, and then that one can bring the blessing home, okay? This is how it works. So anyway, so try to make that happen. Like, we'd love for all of you to be here uh, on these Thursday nights of prayer. They last for about an hour and a half. You can stay as long or as short. Or, like, if you are running late, that's fine, too, right? We're not checking people's names at the door to see if you came or not, right? You just come sneak in or come in real loud. I don't really care. Just As long as you're praying loud and you come in, you can come. So, okay, make that happen first Thursday of every month, please come, come to prayer. It's a lot of fun, to be honest with you, and God does neat things. We want you to come. Okay, uh, number two, number two. So Randall named it Small Groups Start Today, okay? So let's go ahead and bring that up. Yeah, this is our small group sign-up sheet, okay? This is on our website. This is on our website. Go to vintage242.com, okay, or .org. We own both domains. And you go over to resources, and you go down three steps. Yeah, resources, look at that, or sign up, excuse me, thank you. Down three to small group sign up. Yep, look at that, look at that, right? If they can do it, you can do it, okay? So that's not saying anything about y'all, Hayden or Maddie, don't worry. Um, it's talking about them. So anyway, but if they, so here's the deal. I'm going to name, I'm going to go Sunday to Friday, some small groups that are available and open right now, okay? Now here's the thing. I want you to all listen to me. And here, pay attention, stop looking up there. Pay attention to me. Gah! Terrible. Just kidding. Y'all are awesome. Okay, here's the deal. At Vintage, people all the time are like, oh, no one's being friendly to me, right? And people leave because no one's nice to me. I don't have any friends. Let me say, I'm not the person to help you get into a relationship with a friend, right? I'm not going to be your friend coordinator. What I am going to do for you is offer small groups, okay? This is the primary way that we help people just like you, get into relationships with other people at Vintage, okay? This is our avenue. It's the only thing we can facilitate from a macro level at Vintage, but this is it. So I want to seriously and lovingly and graciously encourage you to simply get into a small group and build relationships. Now, now hear me. You're also looking up there. Y'all are terrible, right? And paying attention to me. Here's the deal. Am I sitting here telling you it's going to be the best experience of your life? No. You may hate it, right? But my guess is you'll at least meet some people in it that you can actually maybe begin to build a relationship with and hang out with. Why? Because we need other people to be in relationship with. Now, may it be the best thing in your life? I mean, Ethan was my group. It was the best thing ever that happened in their life, right? No, seriously. But get into a small group. It may be awesome. It may be terrible. Who really cares? Just take a step into a small group, begin building relationships, and then you can have some friends to sit with at church on Sunday. Yay, right? So do that. Now, our small groups then lead us into deeper discipleship relationships. That's another conversation for another day. But we talked at length about this. This is kind of our entry point relationally into vintage small groups, and they lead to deeper places and discipleship and that kind of stuff, right? But 
That's what I'm asking you to do. It's time for the group. So here we go. I'm going to run through these that are available. I'm going to go through from Sunday to Friday, not on this list right here, okay? So Sundays, Barry and Kathy Cox are sitting right here at about 11 o'clock for me, okay? Barry and Kathy Cox, they meet, week, they meet weekly right after this service at your house, right? At your house. Literally, you turn right on 22, and just before you get to the entrance of Eltona High School, there's a neighborhood on the left. You turn left in, and when you go in, it's about nine houses on the right, Five houses on the right. I mean, it's a, yes, it's, it's a big lot, okay? So anyway, big lots, right? I've been to their house a bunch, right? So Sundays, 1.30 p.m., right down here on the right, they're studying Ephesians. There's no child care, but go and do this. Monday evening, Britton, Catherine, I saw her in her hat right over there. Where are you? Uh, right there, right? Second row right here, okay? Um, Britton, Catherine Harbor, Monday nights, right, meeting every other week. So every other week, you get a week on, week off, week on, week off, okay? 6.30 p.m. again, you go past Alatuna High School about a half of a mile, and you turn right into Alatuna Landing, Alatuna Bay, right? I mean, it's pretty good, aren't I? Anyway, I don't know that about every one of you. I haven't known about those two, okay? So anyway, marriage study, couples group. There's no child care, but please go be a part of that. Monday evening, other Monday evening group, Jamie Schroer, again, meeting every other week, week on, week off. Monday, 6 p.m. off Stylesboro Road, okay? Really more towards the Kennesaw area, okay? So you're going down Stylesboro from Mars Hill, you go, I forget the name of their neighborhoods on the left, okay? You're going to go down there. There's, there's child care. Listen, ladies, is available for this one. Doing a study by Andy Stanley, okay? Tuesday night, Graham and Sarah King, again, meeting every week, every week, Tuesday, 7 p.m. If you go to our old space, remember that light? When you're going right there at Bentwater Golf Course, you turn left to go to the golf course, turn right on that street, go down about five streets and turn right into their cul-de-sac area, okay? Bentwater area, 7 p.m., but just studying the basics of Christianity, all right? Basics of Christianity called Christianity. It's a study you're doing. But it's, I say basics, let's be honest, all of us need to brush up on our basics, okay, because we're not, of us, we're not very good Christians sometimes, okay? Study the basics, all that kind of stuff, no child care there. Wednesday morning, Christy Anderson, it's a mom's group, okay? If you're a mom, go woohoo. Thank you, all right, this is fun to do, all right? Meeting every other week, when, listen, Wednesday, 9.30 a.m., you're meeting here at Vintage, you're doing a book called Stuck, by Jenny Allen. Uh, does that fit any of your lives? Okay. Child care is available. Okay. Uh, Wednesday night, Kelly and Misty Davis, their group meets weekly, Wednesdays, 6.30 p.m. They're meeting here at Vintage. It is a couples group, and they're doing a study called Gospel and Life Study by Tim Keller. Now, some of you have never heard Tim Keller, but let me say this. I love Tim Keller, one of the premier pastoral theologians today, that he's the guy that they would call because he's just a reputable guy, right? You could put him on CNN, Fox News, ABC, but man, he's just a great pastor. The study's awesome. Wednesday night, 6.30 do it. Wednesday night, another one. If you're in college, if you're in college or college age or young adult and single, raise your hand. Just go ahead and raise up. Okay. Fan, why are they all sitting towards the back? That's weird. Okay, so I want, listen, you're coming to my house, right? Randall and I are leading a group Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. at our house. We've been doing a study by my friend Sean Gladding called The Story of God, The Story of Us. And then Friday mornings, Franny Corn. this will be a ladies' group. They will meet weekly Fridays at 9.30 a.m. right here at Vintage, okay? Uh, it's a book or a group thing called Unglued Lisa Turkhurst. Thank you. That's actually what I said in the first service, but I wasn't sure. So Unglued Lisa Turkhurst and No Child Care. Okay? Anybody want this to take home with them, the sheet that has all those things I just named? If not, Steve, you, do you want it, Stevie? You're a jerk. All right. Then I'm going David Letterman and throwing those on the floor. Okay? All right. You can pick them up on your way out. All right. Fantastic. Well, hey, let's dive in this morning. All right, fantastic. i got enough time to cover all this, I think. All right, so last week we, we just started talking about this word emanate, right? Emanate. And we all understand this idea of what if something 
emanating, right? This week, I, I, this literally a couple days ago when it was really, really cold, I got cold, so guess what I did? I built a fire, and emanating from that, that blazing man fire that I built was, was heat, right? Heat emanating, coming forth from the fire. And I was, I was literally a rotisserie chicken going around and around, like, woo, warm myself up, right? We just, I just, I love warmth emanating from a fire, right? That's the idea. And so we ask the question of our lives. What emanates from you? What emanates from you? Because whether you like it or not, something emanates from you when you're around other people. They leave thinking something about you because something came from you. And if we're honest, sometimes we're scared to know what that is. But something emanates from us in our lives. And last week we said we want to be a people who emanate Jesus, right? We want, we want Jesus to emanate. We want to radiate Jesus, right? We want Jesus to come out of us and people around us and they go, not sure what that was, but man, I'm drawn to them. We said last week that people who were with Jesus emanate Jesus. People who were with Jesus emanate Jesus. And people who emanate Jesus, they will suffer for emanating Jesus. They will suffer from unbelievers who really just think they're crazy for believing in a risen Christ, all that kind of stuff. And we said that they will suffer at the hands of other Christians who will think that they're weird and don't like the the version of Jesus that they're emanating. We said, Jesus, don't forget, died because a bunch of good Christian Jews, right, the Pharisees who would represent the moral right today in our country that we live in, right, these Pharisaical people, right, all of a sudden, boom, said, we've got to kill this guy because we don't like what he's preaching. And I told each of you to go home and just check the little Pharisee at the door because every one of you, if you've been a Christian for more than a year, are a Pharisee in some form or fashion, and you've got to die to it because you're probably hurting other Christians. And we said, as we're emanating Jesus, we emanate when we've been with him, and people are drawn to us, people are repulsed by us. But if we are willing, willing to count that cost, then salvation and healing and breakthrough will come for the very ones who are willing to count that cost and to live their lives in the understanding that not if suffering comes, but when it comes. And so it's, what are you emanating? Are you emanating Jesus? And really the bigger question, so if we get down, like just to get real honest, do you have the guts to emanate Jesus? is really what it boils down to. Because it's going to cause you to suffer in, with other, in front of other Christians or supposed Christians. It's going to cause you to suffer and struggle and just in life in general. And we talked about the nature of emanating Jesus. So, which brings us to Acts chapter 1, 7, and 8, right? Now, the nature of, well, you're like, why does it lead us there? Let me tell you why it leads you there. Acts chapter 1, 7 and 8. Now, Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus is, 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 these are the, these are the last, these two verses represent the last words that came from Jesus' mouth before he was taken up into a cloud, right? He was literally the last words that came out of his mouth. And I don't know about you, but when, when, when my mom and dad would leave me at home when I was a kid, or whenever my wife leaves me at home by myself, right? There is always some sort of directive word that is given to me as kind of the last thought to make sure that I hear it before they would leave or before she leaves. You know what I'm getting at? That directive word, do you know what I'm talking about? Something like this, like when I was in high school, right? My parents would leave me, maybe go away for the night, and they would say to me, Steve, and they look at me, and you kind of like that lean in, like pause of like, yes. Don't have a party while we're gone, right? And they're like, you understand? You hear me? I'm like, yes, right? Or how many times has your wife said to you guys, 
don't forget to turn off the oven, right? And you're like, okay, okay, okay. How can I forget this, right? Or how many times, like, the other one for, don't forget, and this has happened to me, don't forget to pick up the kids, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to forget this. Oh, right? I'll never forget one time, literally, I'm walking out of the post office, and Anna Catherine's about, about a month or two old, and I'm walking out, and I get to the door, and I'm like, something feels wrong. And I turn around to see her just laying in the little bitty car seat. I'm like, ah, right? And I run back in there, you know, it's like, I almost forgot my kid. Never told Randall that story, right? I don't think she's in here. Don't tell her, right? Anyway, so, but it's like this whole thing, right, that the last thing that people, when they're leaving, you've all experienced it, someone says to you, oh, yes. And it's like the last thing they want you to hear them say because it's that important. And usually it's directive in nature. Every guy going like, yes, yes, Steve, I hear what you're saying, right? We get this all the time. And we see this. I think that's what's happening in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and, and kind of just kind of put it into like as if Jesus is having one of these moments with his disciples, okay? He leans to, he look, he goes, guys, 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 listen. Like, what? It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Stop thinking so far out in the future and trying to figure out the end of times and trying to figure out all this stuff over here that only the Father's going to let you know when the time is right. And guess what? You won't have to be looking for it. He'll just let you know. Why? Because he's going to show up, right? So stop trying to focus like, oh my gosh, the end of the world's coming, blah, 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 right? Stop focusing so much over here, guys. Listen, but, listen, Focus on the moment, for you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay? Do you hear me? Yes. See ya. Cloud comes down and takes them up, right? Directive word is something important if it's the last thing that Jesus said. And he's speaking into the moment to his disciples saying, guys, listen, stop focusing on things you can't figure out and taking all your energies over here. But focus on the moment. Focus on the moment because I'm about to give you my spirit. And then I want you to hear me say very clearly that you then will give the rest of your life emanating my presence in Jerusalem, all Judea, in, in Judea, all, whatever, in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. Do you get it? Yes, we hear you. See you. And he's out. What I want you to hear me say is the last thing that Jesus speaks to his disciples in the moment is this. It's important what your life emanates And your life will be emanating my presence in such a way that people will be drawn to you in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Jesus basically says your job now is to emanate my presence through the Holy Spirit that I'm going to give to you. Focus on that. Focus on being hungry, right? Focus. They literally go and out, give themselves in the upper room. They cry out. They cry out to God, send your spirit. Send your spirit. Send us your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Jesus. We don't know what we're asking for exactly. We don't know what it's going to look like. But whatever it is, we want it, right? Because we want to be empowered, right? We want to emanate you as you did, right? We want to do this. This is a massive call. So the question, is your life is your life in this season fulfilling the will of Jesus in his last directive that was of utmost importance because it's the last thing that he wanted us to hear him say because it was that important to him. Are we emanating the life of Jesus in reading. So let's just stop and be really honest. If I were to literally take a microphone around and go one to one to one to one to one, right? If, and you were to be like, like really not, um, trying to be like Sunday school Christian guy or girl, but you were like, be really honest, you would probably say, no, I'm really doing a bad job, right? Or I'm trying really hard and I have moments of doing well, but if I'm really honest, I have lots of moments of doing really poorly. And, the, and we struggle with that, don't we? We wrestle a lot of times 
as in some level of guilt of quote unquote not being the Christian that we should be or living the life that we want to live or, or doing the things that we wish that we should be doing and, and not having the level of hunger and you're listening to a Harvest sing those songs and you're just like, oh, I mean, I want the hunger. I feel kind of guilty. I don't have that kind of hunger, right? And all this stuff and we're wrestling with all of this stuff. And I want you to hear me say that, that I totally get it. I totally get it. I was talking to Tim, actually, Tim Clark, on, on uh, at worship on Thursday night, and we were talking about my message on Sunday, and I told him, I said, I've heard from like, and, th- and I'm going to say this in humility, and you'll get the point in a second, but I said, I've been hearing from all these people that my message this past Sunday was the best that I've ever preached in my entire life, right? People keep on, I mean, literally keep on telling me this, and, and I told him, I said, the funny thing is, and I want you to hear this, I said, I've never felt so unanointed or disconnected from Jesus in my entire life. Like literally the past two months for me have been some of the most unanointed and disconnected Jesus moments of my entire life. In fact, I told somebody this morning that literally this past, that last Sunday, I mean literally, I'm not saying this to make you feel better or just to make it exaggerate. I mean literally, I came in last week thinking this is going to be awful. Because I have nothing. I didn't feel connected. I didn't even like the message, to be honest with you. I thought it was terrible. You think I'm joking. I'm being dead serious. It's like, man, I feel so disconnected. I feel like, I mean, one of these moments of complete honesty saying, Lord, I'm just, I'm not in it. Woo, I'm not there. If I'm, if I'm wooing, I'm faking, right? You know what I'm talking about. It's like, because I just don't have it. I'm not there. I don't feel it. I'm then engaged in it, Jesus. And so, and, I, and all of a sudden, God does this thing. So I guess, according to these people, you should listen to my message last week if you missed it, right? It's on the podcast. Do it. I guess it's good. I don't know, right? But people say that it's right because all. The, but here's the thing. I told Tim, like I said, I think it's just one of those points where I just when you get out of Jesus's way, he can actually move fully. Isn't that how he works? Isn't that when people really fall into sin and become terrible at whatever they're doing? When they think it becomes all about them. And then Jesus chooses to take them into a wilderness for maybe a year or two or for a season to let them know it has nothing to do with you. You're not really that great. It's not all about you. You're not the Savior. Guess who is? I am. And I'm going to let you get down here so you can recognize just who I am. And then when you wake into that moment and you become free in that moment, that it's all about me and not about you, then I will use you again. It's this beautiful picture of how he allows us just to kind of reach rock bottom so that we can recognize how badly we need him. It's his gift to us. And so he's done this, right? So when we ask this question, how well are you doing in emanating Jesus? You're like, and you hope I don't bring the microphone to you. You hope the bell rings, right, before I get to you. And so I want you to hear me say this. I want you all here. It's very clear because I listen, God. I had a time with the Lord. I, this, I didn't. I didn't really didn't want to prepare my message. Like Jesus showed up in my study. It was crazy for this. Like I don't know for hours, and I'm just sitting there and like tears in my eyes and weeping and like I'm typing and I'm like weeping. I mean, this never happens to me, but it happened for this. You know, for this this time, the Lord just moving. It was like He was renewing all this kind of stuff, right? But this is what he, I just felt like in the moment. He spoke very clearly that this part that I'm about to name is something to be very easy to gloss over, but that we can't. Because it's the center of his heart for the moment for, for a lot, if not all of us. Okay? So here we go. And you're going to like, it's not even that profound. I know. That's why I just gave you the disclaimer, right? But it's this idea that we step into the moment. And I, want, and I felt like Jesus was saying is this, is that I hear you. He recognizes in our difficulties, in our frailties, that he is not unsympathetic to our humanity. It's the whole reason for the incarnation, which simply means God with skin on. Jesus came and he was fully God. And he was fully human. 
In the frailty of our humanity, he experienced that. How did he as God? I have no idea. There's all sorts of things out there, and I have all sorts of ideas that I think are just fascinating, but I'm not going to ponder them this morning. But that God in, in, with, in, God in Jesus experienced a full level of humility and humanity, within the humility of being human, right? This disconnect, this overwhelming nature of being human, that, that there is frailty in it. And so he looks at us in the moment of being asked, are you emanating me well? And he's looking here saying, but listen, I have grace. I have mercy. I'm sympathetic to your brokenness and to your weakness. So many of us have a hard time letting ourselves receive this humanity that we're living in and its fallenness and recognizing Jesus has compassion for us in it. No, we can't just live there and do whatever we want to do, but he has a level of compassion for us. And what I want to say to you is I believe this is pictured for us in John 17. I'm going to read it in a few minutes, right? Or at least parts of it. But John 17, again, just letting you behind the, 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 the curtain of my mind and my life. When I, listen, when I'm struggling, like all of you, in those moments of like, do I really love Jesus and does he really love me? And am I really, I mean, what does he think about me, right? When I'm in these moments just of, of insecurity that I get into every now and then, probably like all of you do about my relationship with Jesus, I always go to John 17. It's like my go-to. It's my go-to. Theologians say, call it the Christ high priestly intercessory prayer. What I call it is Jesus' exposed heart prayer. Jesus' exposed heart prayer. Because, see, this prayer in John 17, guess when he prayed it? He either prayed it, theologians say, either he prayed it while he was still at the Passover feast where he instituted the Lord's Supper, which was literally right before Judas betrayed him in the garden, or literally a prayer he prayed when they were walking to the Garden of Gethsemane to be betrayed by Judas. And so what we get to in this moment of this prayer is we see Jesus is is praying it, literally thinking about us, thinking about the Father, thinking about his disciples, literally right before He is betrayed by Jesus. Listen, pull back. Just get real. How cool is that? How powerful to know that literally right before Jesus about to go through a living hell of being betrayed by one of his closest friends and literally about to be led to a cross not too many hours later, he's thinking about his disciples and thinking about us. And not just thinking about us, but praying with passion in fervency. How many of you have ever had one of those moments where you prayed with such desperation that you could feel it like in the core of who you were? Maybe you found out bad news or something that you needed. It's like all of a sudden, it's like every part of your being goes into prayer with passion and you're consumed by it. Right? I've had these moments where God is like, I'm like, oh, I just got to pray and I'm undone, right? It's untimed prayer. You know how sometimes you get there like, oh my gosh, I prayed 20 minutes today. That was really good. It's one, not that. It's the untimed prayer. You pray and you have no idea how long it was because every part and every fiber of your being is into it. John 17. So as we go through this, I want you to recognize it's not just, I'm not just reading some prayer. I'm reading this heartfelt passionate cry of intercession from Jesus to Father. Emotional. And the disciples get to hear it. Do you remember ever, and and some of you have never experienced this, but I can tell you that it's powerful. I can tell you just moments of my life, and I wish all of you could have experienced this, and I feel blessed by the Lord that I have and able to. The moments where my dad just got weird in prayer where he just went somewhere I had never seen him go before and I'm like uh, I'm like what do I do I feel exposed because of his intimacy in prayer right I'm undone right I'm like I'm just gonna put my head down right I gotta put myself right because there's just something this is what Jesus is 
We're doing for his disciples. He's praying this in John 17, right? He's exposing his heart and expressing the heart that he has for the Father. He's, he's expressing what he desires the relationship to be between he and his disciples after he leaves. And we, we're just going to dive in. I'm, I'm not going to read all of this, but I'm going to just kind of focus on, I'm going to go look at 1 through 5, 6 through 19, and 20 through 23, okay? So 1 through 5, Jesus, he begins acknowledging simply that his time had come. I encourage you to read it this week, right? Jesus' time had come, right? Eternal life had come through him, meaning that through him, that everyone in the world who would give their lives to, to him would be able to know God for eternity. It talks about the fact that he had received the presence of God, the manifest presence of Father into his life. We call it glory. And then Jesus radiated. He emanated the glory, the radiance, the presence of God, the Father God through him. Beautiful picture. Skip down to verse 6 through 19. Then Jesus shifts. And for about 14 verses, or how how long that is, right? 6 through 19. Jesus prays for the disciples whom he loves and is about to leave behind. He prays for the ones who he's done his earthly ministry with, right? And I love this prayer because it just shows a, a rich and deep love for his friends, have you ever had someone pray for you, and you know the real reason they were praying for you? Just so they would that you would know that they love you, right? That's what he's doing, like in one level, he's just praying over them. But also, it's a clear picture of an expectation, of an expectation that is birthed in this prayer of a future calling. It's a couple of things to pull out. Number, number one is verse 11. It says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they, his disciples, are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus prays for them because he understands the weight or the responsibility to emanate the risen Christ to the world. He recognizes their need for protection. But I want you to hear me say this and listen well. He's not praying for physical protection per se, as in not suffering. Because if that's the case, then his prayer would not have been answered. Because they all suffered and they died. And all of Jesus' prayers were answered. He always prayed the Father's will. He was not praying for physical protection. Not if they suffer, right, but when they suffer, like we said, right? He knew that they were going to suffer. He knew that they were going to die for his name, right? Instead, what he's praying, what he's praying protection for is against the schemes of the enemy that would distract them from their calling. He's praying they be protected from the work of the enemy that would literally try to steal them and keep them from the calling that they have in Christ. And then he goes on and prays for unity. Not just a banding together under like some similar conviction or under some like, I don't know, some name of a church or some sort of name that we create, right? But a true unity of heart, a true unity of purpose. And here's the deal. It's best pictured according to Jesus and exemplified in the union of Jesus and Father. That's what he says. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Let me tell you something. This is something, if you have studied church history, you may not know this. The primary battle for the first, I don't know, seven or eight hundred thousand years of the church all revolved around one issue. How divine and how human was Jesus? How divine? How did the Trinity work? How does this whole thing of the Trinity and Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, how does this whole thing work? Because it's so outside of our realm of physical understanding to understand Father, Son, Holy Spirit, distinct persons, always one. That's weird. Crazy, but it, and it's, it, but it represents the oneness 
of purpose, oneness of calling, oneness of, of essence. And he's saying we are of the same essence, the same calling, the same purpose as part of the same family. We must be one. He prays that over them. This is important. Second thing we see in verse 13 says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may know the disciples, that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. This is such a beautiful verse, right? It portrays this deep nature of Jesus' heart for his disciples, right? Why? Because he recognizes the difficulty the disciples are going to experience in their journey. They're about to embark on after he leaves, right? The nature of what's coming after his death. And knowing that literally every single one of them will die because of the preaching and the emanating of Jesus to a lost world, and he comes in, he speaks, and he says, but I'm praying. Listen, this is, this is exciting stuff. I'm praying for joy. He prays for joy. He'd already prayed for joy in 1511 of John, 1622 of John, praying for joy. And I want you to hear this. What Jesus is saying, this is something I felt like God just kind of just put into my, into my heart as I was preparing and I wrote it down. It's this, joy. Here's a definition. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through it slowly, okay? Oh, thank you so much. Here we go. It's this. Joy. It wasn't in there for 9 o'clock, was it? I think whoever put it in is great. Joy is an underlying, is an underlying Kind of like a, like this foundation, as in like this, this deep water source you can always draw from, like one of those aqueducts underground you can always draw from. It's kind of like, it's never ceasing in its water, right? It's an underlying yet fully developed. So not like some sort of small underlying, but it's an underlying yet fully developed contentment which produces peace in every area of life adding to it despite the circumstances around us. It is an underlying yet fully developed contentment which produces peace in every area of life despite the circumstances, even though you're going to be hung upside down, Peter, and crucified because of your faith and your just you emanating me, you will have, even in that moment, despite the circumstance, you will have an underlying and fully developed contentment which will produce peace in every moment of your life, even on the cross. And Jesus is praying that. For his disciples, it was their inheritance. It belonged to them. And so then he goes on. Verse 20 through 23. He shifts his prayer. He begins to pray for those who would believe in their message, leading all the way up to today, and those who will give their life to Christ tomorrow and from now on. Right? He begins to pray for them. He's thinking forward now in his divinity he's able to look forward into the context of time and only the way that god can do right and he begins to think he begins to pray because he sees these things that are important he says this my prayer is not for my disciples alone right i pray also for those who will believe in me through their message verse 21 that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and i am in you he's speaking that whole crazy thing again may they they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I'm going to look at verse 22 and 23 next week, but I want to focus on 21 this morning to end our time. I'm going to show you three things that I believe that Jesus looked into the future and saw and he prayed with deep compassion, with deep zeal, with a with an insatiable, like, oh, God, right? This intercessory thing going on. Three things he prayed for. Number one, he prayed for oneness among believers. 
oneness among believers that all of them may be one father, just as you were in me and I am in you. Remember, Jesus said to Thomas, if you have seen me, you've seen the father. And then he says later, the father and I are one, speaking this nature of their unity, right? This is a, and so he's speaking to us and it's different than that, but it's similar. This idea of a true unified expression of heart, commitment, and love in the context of relationship that withstands every arrow of the enemy. He's speaking to this, this, a true unified expression, expressing in our life towards one another, right? An expression of heart, commitment, and love that withstands the arrows of the enemy. I'm going to name some of the arrows that the the enemy shoots towards us as believers in the context of relationship with other people and in relationship with other Christians specifically and other believers, okay? Here it is. He shoots an arrow of pride as if one is better than another, right? And you struggle of your own pride, our own pride of, of thinking that we are better than somebody else or arrogance, right? Of, of looking down on the people just akin to, akin to pride. We have this sense, he shoots this arrow of competition. Competition that one is better than another, right? And we live in this, this relationship of competition with people every day. Hopefully not for you, but a lot of us every day of our life, just every relationship is a competition of, of who's better than and what do they have and what do they not have and what are they saying about me, this whole nature of competition. And he shoots this arrow of fear that literally keeps us from being involved in a small group even and just being in relationship with other people, right? And he shoots this arrow of insecurity. How many leaders have you been under that their insecurity has caused them to be really mean in the context of church? Because they're insecure, they're insecure because they're afraid you're going to figure out that they don't know what they're doing. Or how many of you wrestle with your own insecurity, and in your insecurity you're mean to somebody because you think that they're challenging you? What? He shoots the arrow of anger. Man, you're in a relationship with somebody, and they say something, and man, you're just like, blah, quick to anger. And you're sitting there going, why did I just do that, right? And you have this tension, but you can't deny you feel angry. And you justify and say, well, Jesus got angry too, right? What a bunch of hogwash. He got mad at Pharisees for hurting people, right? Now you're getting mad at somebody because they're trying to love you well and you won't let them sometimes, right? Anger just wells up inside of us. Or how about those of you, God, he shoots the arrow of the need to always be right, that you choose to be right over a relationship, right? You choose that. This need to be right all the time. And people are like, oh my gosh, I can't be perfect. Well, like, well that's the right thing. No, man, Jesus just shows grace and mercy, right? We go on down. This is idea too. He shoots this, this part of man in church and man, Christians. Christians are the most easily offended people in the world. Man, that's an arrow of the enemy, just easily offended. Man, have you been in church and like you left at your one service because the pastor happened to randomly say one thing or someone did one thing and they're like, I'm out of here, right? Seriously? Boom, enemy wins. Because as he looked forward, as he looked forward, guess what he saw? He saw the relationship that you were just thinking about when I was naming these things. How many of you this name. Name the one person. Not out loud, please. Name the one person inside your mind, right, who is a believer, who is a Christian, who causes you the most tension, right, who just you have the greatest di- disconnect from. And recognize that that was the relationship Jesus was thinking about in the moment. Because when he saw that, Jesus looked and said, oh, God, I'm going to pray for unity in that situation. Because as Jesus looked forward and saw that relationship, he, listen, listen, everyone, he knew it, it could be that very relationship the enemy could use to bring division in his body and keep the unbeliever from believing. 
It's those tension. How many of you know there are people who won't come to church because of this disunity, the fractured nature of the body of Christ? And Jesus is praying and saying, God, Father, I'm praying that they would be unified just as we are unified. Second thing we see Jesus praying for is oneness with Jesus and the Father. Praying for oneness with Jesus and Father. May they be also, may they also be in us. That's a beautiful picture, right? In us has the picture, has the picture of adoption. I mean, adoption is one of the most beautiful biblical uh, pictures of Jesus bringing us in, right? All of a sudden, in the moment, he gives us the family name, right? He gives us the family occupation, and he gives us, and he gives us the family arsenal, right? He gives us the family arsenal. This beautiful picture. Listen, I was thinking about this, and I had this, I just had this story come to mind. I was in college, right? It's a terrible analogy, but I think you'll get it, right? Sophomore year of college, I had this professor. I'm taking a, I'm taking physical geography class. I didn't like real sciences, so I took physical geography and learning about shapes and stuff of the earth, right? And so we were studying caves and sp- caves and stalactites and stalagmites. I don't know which one goes up and down. You don't either, right? But stalactites and stalagmites. And we're studying all this stuff, and so someone behind me starts. They start talking. And they go, "Hey!" And I hear them like, "Let's make them take us on a field trip." We're in college, right? But they literally, not me, I'm praying for him the entire time. But this group behind me starts manipulating him into literally taking us on a college field trip, right? Funny stuff. And so, so anyway, we get, so literally he comes back the next day. We're going on a field trip. We're going to Spelunkin, going to North Carolina. I'm like, what? This is awesome, right? So we hop in the van a couple of days later and we head off Spelunkin, right, to the caves. So we get, we're on the way and all of a sudden he's driving and he's up there. He says, hey, we're going to stop at this gas station up here. And we're going to buy all the food and drinks that we're going to need for the night. Now, I didn't know this in advance, right? And be honest with you, the closest ATM from where I was in college at that time was 45 minutes away. I was at Young Harris College, so I couldn't get money very easily, right? So I'm looking at my wallet. I have zero dollars. I'm going to starve, right? I'm going to die in this cave. And so I'm literally getting to the gas station. I'm going, look at my friends. Hey, do you have any money I can borrow? And they're like, no, I don't have any money. Can I borrow a dollar? I don't even like you. No, you give my money. I'm like, oh, I'm a nice guy, right? And I'm like, oh. And I'm like, head down, right? And all of a sudden, this, I go, and I look up, and a light shines. Actually, it was a Texaco sign, right? There's a Texaco sign, right? And, and I see the Texaco sign, I go, <gasps> and I look in my wallet, and there is a Texaco card with my dad's name on it, right? And I'm like, oh, right? And I'm like, I can buy anything I want. I've got the family arsenal, the Texaco card in my wallet. I walk in, like, I'm buying everything, right? I walk in, and I literally, I buy three bags worth of groceries, right? At this Texaco station with my dad's Texaco card. I'll come back and like, Look what I got. I got the family arsenal in my, right here in my card, right? It's in my wallet. You're jealous. I don't like you either now, right? Whatever it may be. How awesome was that? This is the moment, right? It's just like Philippians 4, 4.13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength, who gives me a Texaco card. It's the nature of that you see what I'm getting at, right? We have the family name, the family occupation of saving the world, right? And we've got the, the family arsenal. If you like sports analogy, he takes, he takes his name and he puts it on the back of our jersey and says, you are now on my team and you have all of my resources. Be the best quarterback, running back, linebacker, defensive back. You can play the whole field at the same time. You can play offense and defense all at the same time. You can do that in my strength, right? Whatever it may be. No, I'm getting at This is unbelievable ability. Listen, guys, Jesus spoke to me clearly in my basement, said, this is what people miss, is the adoption of sons and daughters into the family name, right? Into the family calling and into the family arsenal. Everything belongs to them that belong to Jesus, right? He said, may they also be in us. Father, I'm crying out on the way to Gethsemane. I'm so energized, God, so zealous and so passionate. Lord, may they be in us. Oh, we miss it. And God's broken. 
It's why he prayed it, because he knew in the future it would break his heart. He'd been given the family name. And the third thing he gave, he prayed, oneness leading to the world believing in Jesus. He says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I'm going to speak more time talking about this next week, right? But what I want you to see this week is that everything Jesus has prayed for leads to this point that our unity with God and our unity with one another would empower us to fulfill Acts chapter 1, 7 through 8, that we would emanate Jesus to the world in need. Our oneness with Jesus causes us to radiate, right, to emanate the radiance of Jesus. And Jesus prayed these things because he knew that without them we would not succeed. And he prayed them and hear this because he understands our humanity and our frailty. He understands that we go through seasons and moments of like, I'm trying my best, but he has compassion. He has mercy. He's not just judging all the time. He's a, he's just, oh, he's praying here. He's revealing his heart for us in those moments in John 17. Praying God with everything in me, Father. May it be so. May they be one. All of these things, oneness, oneness with other people, other believers, oneness with Jesus and Father, and oneness leading us to emanate Jesus to the world. This morning, what we're going to do just to end, we're going to take a time and have ministry, as we always do. We're going to sing a song that we sang on, um, on Thursday night. And I want to encourage you this morning, and it's, it's, it's in this. If you're able to, if you need to leave, hey, we love you guys. Be free, and y'all can go. But if you can stay, I want to encourage you to dive into this message of oneness that Jesus is proclaiming in John 17. I want to encourage you to dive into Jesus. I want, I want your one, my oneness with, I want to deal with this, these issues, the arrows the enemy has shot towards me. God, I want to, I want to deal with those. This, the anger, the insecurity, the pride, right? The, all this stuff. It's literally, can you think of a relationship that the relationship itself has literally hindered your own relationship with Jesus and other people? You need to deal with that because he wants to set you free so you can emanate him. He wants to flood you with joy this morning. This deep, underlying contentment, right, that is present in every circumstance of life. God wants to move this morning and awaken you to a oneness with him and what it means to be part of the family of God. And then to embrace this reality. Now, God, give me grace, your ability, your help to emanate you to the world. Let's pray. Father, I ask now in all of these things, God, that you would move, that you would bring us into a place, Lord, of of oneness and of understanding and of clarity. God, I pray this morning that you would speak into the deep recesses of our hearts and God, that you would bring breakthrough and hunger and passion and joy and all of these things. Lord, we're asking today we awaken to what it means to truly, for the first time in our lives, God, to move from a mental knowledge of adopted as a daughter or a son and into a heart awakening. Father, you are good. Have your way in us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Ministry teams.